Value Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Mastery Partners, where our mission is to equip business owners to maximize business value so they can transition their business on their terms. Our mission is born from the lessons we've learned from over 100 business transactions, which fuels our desire to share our experiences and wisdom so you can succeed. Now, here's your host, CEO of Mastery Partners, Tom Bronson. Hi, this is Tom Bronson, and welcome to Maximize Business Value, a podcast for business owners who are passionate about building long-term, sustainable value in their businesses. In this episode, I'd like to welcome our guest, Jason Luter. He's an attorney with Fagri Drinker here in Dallas. Now, Jason specializes in employee stock ownership plans, or ESOPs. Uh, there's been a great deal of interest in ESOPs recently, and I thought it would be a great time for us to have someone on the program who really understands them and can can explain them better to our listening audience. So welcome to Maximize Business Value, Jason. Tell us about the firm Fagri Drinker. Thanks, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you having me. Um, so about Fagri Drinker, uh, we are a full-service international law firm with about uh, 1,300, 1,350 lawyers, and that's primarily in the United States. And um, when I say full service, that that means pretty much any type of law you can envision. We have uh, people who specialize in that and practice groups that do. In my area, of course, the corporate transactional and ESOP space, we have uh, one of the top practice groups in the country. And uh, I know we'll be getting into that um, throughout this interview. Awesome. So what is your background? I know that Fagri Drinker does, you know, basically everything from litigation to probably, do you guys do family law, even all of that kind of stuff as well? We do. Uh, so the family law, that, that becomes, when you get into family law, it becomes uh, a, a smaller part. Whereas, um, because you're dealing with such a small group of the the nation that would hire a, a full service firm to represent them in a family law matter, Um but in the when you think in the corporate context, we have hundreds of lawyers who do corporate and transactional M and A work. We have hundreds of lawyers who do commercial litigation and uh, labor and employment law. So uh, th- those are kind of the big categories. And then, of course, you have specialties like family law or intellectual property, things like that. So well-rounded law firm, do they do lots and lots of things. So what is your background and why did you specialize in ESOPs and business transactions? Uh, well, so uh, my pre-law school background was uh, finance and accounting and finance. And to add, or, you know, when I got to law school, the uh, that transition, finance and accounting transition nicely into tax law specialty. And then when you have a finance and accounting uh, business background with tax law, the corporate transactions uh, world are largely finance and and tax driven. Those are very important um, structural issues for corporate transactions. And ESOPs specifically are uh, they involve a, a tremendous amount of tax. Uh, advantages for both the employees and selling shareholders, owners, transitioning employment. So it creates a a real win-win transaction structure for everyone involved, really. And uh, once I got into them many years ago, I I got 
um, sucked into the, this, this really interesting world of ESOP transactions and transitioning corporate ownership from business owners to, uh, to their employees through ESOP trusts. Well, I imagine that there's a lot of financial advantages there, but why don't we back up and just let, we receive a lot of questions from clients about ESOPs and is this a good solution for them? So why don't we start by, by let's having you explain them. What exactly is an ESOP? Certainly. So ESOPs, as you mentioned earlier in the intro, an ESOP, that stands for Employee Stock Ownership Plan. Uh, it's actually considered a qualified retirement plan. It's so think like a 401k plan, but I don't want to don't want to confuse the audience here. It's it's very different from a 401k plan. But when you think of the the concept of a tax qualified retirement plan, where employees are able to save on a pre-tax or tax deferred basis uh, for retirement and watch that grow on a pre-tax basis, it's very similar. They're individual accounts. Uh, in the names of your employees, but the uh, we'll get into the details as as we continue the conversation on how they're structured. But a uh, in a nutshell, you have a tax qualified plan which involves a tax exempt trust. That trust becomes the buyer of the owner of a company's stock. So you have a selling owner. Who would sell to well any buyer, whether it's a family member, or a third-party buyer, uh, whomever, a competitor, or you have an ESOP trust, and the buyer in that ESOP transaction is the trust. So now you've sold your stock to a tax-exempt trust, where the stock is being held for the benefit of your employees. Then your employees are able to uh, share in the value of the the company over the next many years, decades. So, in as we as I think about uh, ESOPs, it's really um, for business owners who feel very strongly about their employees, right? So, in the context of succession planning for companies and exit strategies for business owners, kind of what is the role and purpose uh, does an ESOP serve? So, the, yes, it is. It's very favorable to employees. I'll, I'll mention that as. Uh, a, as we talk about some of the alternatives, uh, I'll, I'll get into how it differs. But the let's let's start with what what options do owners typically consider when they're when they're evaluating or starting to mull over uh, exit strategies and succession planning? Uh, you have someone who's created a business, uh, first generation, second generation, what whatever it is, and it's a privately held company, and the owner. Uh, a lot of times, first thought is, what about heirs? What about passing, you know, transitioning ownership from uh, the current owner to his or her children or grandchildren or other relatives? Many, many times, that's not uh, a a workable option for any number of reasons. So, once you get outside of that, just the what about the you know other family members taking over? You start looking at uh, transitioning or other options for transitioning. Who to whom could I sell my business? Uh, would I sell my assets of, of the business? Would I sell the equity of the business? And when you start thinking of who your potential buyers are in that uh, in, in those structures, and you have a third party sale, you, have, you could sell to a competitor, a strategic, a private equity fund, um, an ESOP. Is uh, becomes a, a potential buyer that a lot of a lot of people because they're not a lot of people uh, 
are familiar with this. It's a specialized tax-driven transaction. Um, it doesn't always hit the radar uh, with every you know, business broker, investment banker who's out there talking to company owners. This topic doesn't always come up. But as a business owner, you know, I strongly recommend that you ask the question and have this uh, have an ESOP be part of the panoply of options that you consider. Uh, it may or may not be the right fit for you, for your company, for your employees, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but it also might be a really excellent solution that um, that you'll be thankful to have at least considered. So uh, we have a we have a free ebook on our website that kind of goes into all of the transition options because it occurs to me that most business owners don't realize all the options that are available to them. And certainly we talk a little bit about ESOPs in that. I would encourage you to go to our website, uh, masterypartners.com, go to the free stuff uh, tab and download the ebook on transition options. But so you started to mention a little bit about some of these other options. Um, so how does company succession planning that utilizes an ESOP differ from what you would call maybe more traditional company succession uh, strategies like a third-party sale, a management buyout, or, or corporate uh, acquisition of stock or reacquisition of stock? How does an ESOP kind of differ from those other things? Excellent question. The, well, an ESOP, first, it, it differs in tremendous, you know, large ways, significant ways. I'm happy to get into those. Let's start with the, the basics of, sim let's start with similarities. Both involve selling your company. Uh, one difference is if you're considering as a business owner, selling your company to, uh, to a, so anything other than an ESOP, you could, again, as we mentioned earlier, you could sell the assets or you could sell the equity. You can sell your stock. In the ESOP context, you can only sell the stock. So an ESOP can only purchase corporation stock. So if you're currently a partnership or an LLC, one difference uh, between other forms of transactions is, is you would have to convert to uh, either a C-Corp or an S-Corp prior to the transaction. It's an easy process. We do it all the time. But uh, so that's one difference. Then as far as uh, other differences between an ESOP transaction and the other transactions, you have a buyer in, e in any of these instances, um, you know, assuming you're not donating business stock to a charitable foundation or something. Okay, but if there's a purchase and sale transaction, the ESOP is the buyer, and there are tremendous tax benefits uh, that differ significantly from other forms of transactions, uh, both for the selling shareholders, the business owner, as well as for the employees of that business. Now, a, a sec, so those are the first couple of issues. The next issue that, that differs, uh, just I'm gonna throw this out here. It's, it's not gonna come as a surprise to, to anyone who has been, uh, well, who's been in the business world for a while. You've seen, especially over the last decade or so, I mean, there's been a huge amount of private equity M&A and, and company, you know, you see roll-ups and, and a lot of corporate M&A transactions, strategic buyers, uh, competitors buying each other, what is one theme that you see in those transactions uh, consistently? And I don't say this because it's based on it's because of any nefarious uh, you know intent or or anything like that. But a lot of employees do lose their jobs, typically from the the selling entity. That's uh, that again, it's not nefarious. It's just there are employee redundancies uh, that that exist. You know, a competitor buys you. Do we need? 
uh, you know, multiple people in the same role of accounting and HR and administrative personnel and all that. There's, there's that. Uh, but then there's also uh, strategic changes. You'll have a buyer or private equity fund. They put in their new management team. They want to assemble their own group. You're, there ends up being a good bit of employee turnover in most of these uh, third-party sales, we could call it. Now, that's where another tremendous difference with the ESOP uh, exists is because we're not in the, in the ESOP context selling to a, uh, a stranger or a competitor or someone who's going to put in their own man, new management team, you're selling to an ESOP trust that you create now and for the benefit of your employees, the beneficiaries of that trust. As a result, there does not, uh, there's typically no employee loss or turnover associated with the ESOP transaction. The, um, the last thing I'll mention, aside from the, the big tax benefits and differences that we'll dig into um, as we get into the tax structure and C-Corp versus S-Corp, you don't have to find a buyer when you're doing an ESOP transaction. If you think of a typical, uh, okay, I don't have family members to try and transition this to, uh, management uh, buyout is not an option. How do I find a third-party buyer? Typically, you go through the process of marketing your company. You're, you package this, this package, here's what we are, here's what we do, and you try to find a buyer and negotiate a deal. In the ESOP context, we create the ESOP, create the ESOP trust, that becomes the buyer. Uh, so there's no, there's no searching for a buyer. Now you have to pick a, uh, you have to select a trustee and find someone who's suitable for that role to be the trustee of the, uh, of the ESOP that you create, but there's no uh, roadshow, so to speak, to, to try and find a buyer, which of course can, can expedite the timeline if that's important. Yeah, I, I was not aware that an ESOP really only is a stock purchase. I was not aware of that. And so for business owners that are thinking about uh, their transitions many, many times, I, I don't even know what the percentage is, but it's a very high percentage of transactions are asset purchases, right? Because, the, because of the tax benefit. Um, uh, tax and liability. Uh, liability reasons. You have a third-party purchaser who uh, says, Okay, uh, yeah, I'm going to buy this company. Uh, I like the idea for whatever strategic reason, uh, but I I like the idea of buying your equipment, your uh, your employees, your real estate, your goodwill, you know, operations, customer lists. Not so interested in any potential liability that you have out there. So I'm, I'll just buy the assets and exclude any liability that may exist uh, that's connected to your business. In an equity purchase, it's harder to exclude liability. Right. Yeah. But that's... again, in the ESOP context, you're, since you're you're transitioning, it's the same people before and after the transaction generally who are uh, owning and running and operating the business. So um, you're, it's not the same as going out and buying a stranger's car and wanting to uh, wondering what skeletons may be in the closet and wanting to disclaim and, and not take on any liability that's unknown. You pretty much know what your business is. Yeah, I'll tell you, if you, if you haven't been through a business transaction uh, before, selling it to a third party is incredibly disruptive, right? I mean, because of, for all the reasons that you brought up here, the you know, uh, potentially new management coming in, uh, some employees may be um, uh, terminated or, or offloaded, you know, post-transaction. It's, it's the whole sale process, very disruptive. Business owners don't really think about that. Many times it takes 
a year or more to sell a business. And while you're trying to run that process, you're also trying to run the business, which sometimes devalues the business. I think one of perhaps the biggest benefit to an ESOP is that it's an internal transaction and that you don't have to uh, go out and you don't you won't be eliminating people to the to the extent that they don't need to be eliminated anyway right in the business uh, and uh, and it is it is significantly less disruptive to the business uh, to have that insider transaction to already have management in place and it's a very smooth uh, transition so I I really like. Uh, those benefits. Um, and so, uh, so we need to take a break. We're talking with Jay. Oh, go ahead. If I could make one comment about that there, there's one thing re related to exactly what you said. That's specific to the business owner in this context. So we've talked about employee turnover and replacement and, you know, new management team comes in in a third party sale. You think about the business that you as a business owner have created and you sell it to a third party. They are, uh, Many times, and I'm, I'm sure Tom, you've seen this a million times. The third-party buyer is saying, "Okay, we we need the business owner. You're the you are the uh, the brains behind the operation. You're the the backbone of this company. Uh, it's your relationships with customers and vendors and everything that uh, that are so significant. We have to have some time post-purchase. We're not just buying and then kicking everybody out the door. We need you specifically, business owner who created and built this company, to stay on." for some period of time, a year, two years, four years. And how are we going to get you to do that? They use earnouts and and other structures to try and incentivize uh, the business, the selling business owner to stick around and ensure that the buyer at the end of that period of time uh, has a company that they feel comfortable is, is going to be able to run profitably without uh, the presence and contributions of the business owner. Now, what do we see in in practice or, or you know what actually happens you've been running the company you built the company it's yours it's you know say it's you found it in 1982 or, or what okay you haven't been answering to anybody and then everybody's it's one big happy family you just got a big paycheck from a strategic buyer and they want you to stick around but all of a sudden you're answering to someone else who's running your business because now they own it and we I see many many times that business owners walk away, they leave money on the table, they walk away from earnouts uh, that part of their purchase price, because they say, you know what, I just I cannot stand going into my own business anymore. It, it's just breaking their heart, and they leave money on the table. In an ESOP context, you can stick around as long as you want. I mean, it's, it's still your, you know, it's still your company, I mean, in the sense that it, the equity is owned by the ESOP for the benefit of your employees. Uh, and but you're still running it. So if your succession plan, you're, you're, you know, you're thinking about getting out of the business. I want to transition towards retirement. I want to do other things, um, travel, whatever's uh, on your agenda for the next 20 years. You, you may, and most of the time I hear business owners say, well, I mean, I don't want to just sell and, and be done in, in six weeks or, you know, six months. I think I'd probably have five years, four years, you know, three years, whatever it is, 10 more years, I'd like to keep working, but I want to take some chips off the table now. I want to monetize some of my investment. Well, this is one of the best ways, if not the best structure that allows you to monetize your ownership, uh, You know, take some chips off of the table while you continue to run the company. The equity is owned by the trust, but you're the management of the company. You continue to be. You're still the boss. 
So you don't have to answer your terms and timeline. That's that's huge. I will tell you that uh, you know the the um, there's a there's an enormous dissatisfaction um, when uh, I forget what the number is. It's some high percentage, like fifty nine percent of business owners are dissatisfied with the transaction a year later. Part of that is driven by they now have a new boss, right? They're they sold the business and they're working for somebody else. So that that leads to the average tenure of a CEO who sells to a third party. Uh, to be less than two years. Uh, and even though their agreement may be longer than that, like you said, they may be walking away from things because it's hard. If you've been running your business for a long time, now taking direction from somebody else, the new owner uh, in the business, that's a very difficult thing. And it can be a- extremely disruptive. I love this, uh, that that you can basically sell the business in an exit strategy and stay if you want to, or go if you want to, right? And you're still calling the shots until that time that you hand over the reins to your handpicked successor, right? That's right. So you can you can do this transition on your terms and your timeline. I love that. So we're talking with Jason Luter. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back in 30 seconds. Like it or not, eventually you'll have to come to a point when it's time for your business to transition. Will you be ready? Will you be able to get the maximum value for your business? Brought to you by Mastery Partners, Mastery Class is a 12-month program designed specifically for business owners. We meet once a month as a group to work through our transition readiness assessment, expand your business toolbox through leadership presentations, have live interaction with other business owners. This program determines vulnerabilities in your business that will affect business value and your ability to transition in the future. Whether that transition is in two or 15 years, What you do now has long-term effects on the future value of your business. We have the know-how you need to get the results you want in your business to maximize business value. To learn more and secure your spot in the program, visit mbvmasteryclass.com. That's mbvmasteryclass, mastery with a Y, mbvmasteryclass.com. We're back with Jason Luter, an attorney at Fagri Drinker, and we're talking about ESOP. So Jason, let's get into some of the details. Uh, how is uh, succession planning using an ESOP? How is that funded? Uh, sure, yeah, an important important point, right? Because we've, we've mentioned earlier in the interview that we've created an ESOP with a tax-exempt trust that's going to buy uh, your stock as a business owner. So the logical next question is, well, where does the ESOP that you created get that money, uh, the funding to purchase your stock? The quick answer is debt. But I don't. Uh, but before anybody gets uh, scared away from the idea of uh, a business or a trust borrowing money to buy out your stock, let's, let's get into exactly how this works. Uh, I want to start with a simple example because okay, typically an ESOP transaction would be funded between uh, by a combination of lender debt, like uh, traditional third-party lender debt. A bank a bank gives a loan um, and seller debt. So the business owner takes seller notes for a portion of the purchase price as well. Um, Let's use a simple example to illustrate it. Let's say $20 million. Okay, the valuation of your business is $20 million, and we're going to fund that that purchase price. So you sell 100% of your stock at $20 million, fund it 50-50, 50% bank debt and 50% seller notes. 
Uh, of course, there's no magic number uh, or percentage split there. It's whatever deal uh, makes sense for your company. And, and of course, what a bank will agree to. Pretty much a bank is always going to uh, require that the seller have some skin in the game. <laughs> you know, they're not going to give you 100% of your purchase price. But right. in that 50-50 example, in a $20 million deal, you have $10 million of bank debt at closing. That's cash. Okay, So at closing, you as the selling shareholder take $10 million. That has to be paid back over a, um, and it's paid by the company through the ESOP, uh, through company earnings. So it's debt effectively on the company because that's the only operating entity. The trust doesn't have operations. So the, the funds would flow through uh, for the tax benefits. But really, it's, it's the company buying, you know, company earnings paying off this debt. Bank debt's going to have a typical bank debt terms over a term loan. So think four or five years, six years, something like that at a market rate of interest, four or five percent, something like that today. And uh, level amortization over that period, you make those payments. Once that gets paid off, and there, there's also, there's some big tax benefits here as well. But before I get to that, let's turn to the bank debt gets paid off. Now there's the seller debt. They both exist at closing, but the bank is going to require that your seller notes be subordinate to the bank debt. They want to get paid back and prioritized first. Understandably, they put up the cash. You, as the seller, now, once the bank debt's paid off, start getting paid. You can get interest payments on your seller debt for those four years or whatever it is to pay off the bank debt. But then uh, once the bank debt's paid off, you uh, start receiving principal and interest payments on your seller debt. The seller debt is going to have a higher rate of interest than traditional bank debt because the seller, you as a business owner, are not a professional lender. That's not your business, and uh, you're not, and you're able to uh, command a higher rate of return for loaning money uh, as a non-professional financial institution. So you're going to get a higher rate of return. That'll get paid out over the next several years. Now let's start with the the tax benefit, why? Because a lot of times um, a business owner, especially conservative business owners who've built a, a business conservatively, they look at this and say, wait a minute, I'm not going to take 100% debt on this company. Like, how can we sustain that? And that's a very reasonable concern. But there's a fundamental difference uh, between the way that uh, the, the treatment of your business debt outside of the ESOP context and inside the ESOP context. Outside the ESOP context, you take out a loan, say it's a term loan, $2 million at your business, you're going to make payments as a business to the bank. And what do you deduct from a tax perspective? You deduct the interest, but not the principal. In the ESOP context, uh, you're going to deduct 100% of both. So really? And yes, that, that's exactly right. So it's a, a tremendous tax benefit that lightens the burden dramatically, that the debt burden, the weight of that debt on the business is lightened dramatically because every payment that you're making, say it's in that $20 million example, if we were to say a million dollars a year paid back over 20 years, just to make easy math, you're paying a million dollars plus interest and deducting all of it, the million plus interest every year, every payment. Um, that that really lightens the the load, obviously. And uh, additionally, you'll uh, you have the opportunity if you're an S corp, and we'll, we'll get into this structure, the difference between C and S in a second. But um, there there's an additional way to lighten the burden uh, of the the debt on the company, which is effectively if you're an S corp, you're an S corp that's now owned by a tax exempt entity. How are S corps taxed on business earnings? 
Well, there is no tax at the corporate level in an S-corp. There is a C-corp, they pay C-corp tax. At an S-corp, it gets passed through and pushed down to the owners. You, in that simple example, a single owner, the profits of the business that aren't paid out as compensation and expenses, that gets taxed to you, whether you take a distribution or not, the phantom income concept. In the S-corp ESOP context, that same exact number, say it's $2 million worth of profit at the end of the year that would be taxable to you, is now tax exempt. So what's the result and impact of that? Result and impact is you now have uh, a tax-exempt entity, effectively, where that $2 million that would be taxable uh, at the end of the year, so say six, eight hundred grand, well, whatever the, what the, uh, whatever the tax amount would be paid on those uh, earnings and profits, uh, stay in the company as return, retained earnings. What can you use that for? Servicing debt. You have all this extra free cash flow. Um, you can grow, you can expand, give people raises, um, you know, acquire competitors. We see that a lot. There's, it provides a, a huge financial opportunity for the company as well as the business owner. Now, so we've talked a lot about some of these taxes. I mean, you're blowing my mind here with all of these different uh, implications here and the advantages of it. Is there a difference with, with respect to post-closing implications? We talked about S-corps and kind of how the tax flow, but is there a difference between S-corps and C-corps? Yes, yes, there, uh, and, and important differences. So the let's start with, because there's the, the tax considerations for both the selling shareholder, the business owner, and in this simple example of a single owner owns all the stock. Um, as we said earlier, it has to be at the time of the ESOP transaction, it has to be a C-Corp or an S-Corp. So what does it matter to the selling shareholder? And then I'll get to the, what, how it matters to the company. The selling shareholder, because uh, you can sell C-Corp or S-Corp stock, if it's C-Corp stock, you have the opportunity on all the, on the funds that you receive. In this $20 million example, you get a $20 million payday for your um, for the sale of your business. Uh, if it's a strategic buyer, a third-party purchaser comes in and buys your assets or your equity and gives you $20 million in this simple example, that is a taxable event this year. Okay, So if it's in 2021, you get paid $20 million, you have taxable income of $20 million in 20, uh, 2021. It's pretty simple. Then the only thing that you are uh, playing with at that point is uh, you know, cost basis and, and accounting issues as far as your tax considerations go. But you've got the money this year and it's a taxable event. In the ESOP context, if you're selling C-Corp stock, so you're C-Corp at the time of the transaction, you have the opportunity as the business owner, but not the obligation, to take advantage of what's called a 1042 exchange. A 1042 exchange uh, is it, think the, the closest analogy, but it's not the same. The closest analogy would be if you think about a tax-free rollover from a 401k into an IRA, um, you hear the commercials online, did you leave a 401k plan at your old employer? Why don't you, or you see the commercials on TV, you know, why don't you roll it over tax-free to uh, an IRA and continue to let it grow tax-deferred, you know? It's that same concept, but again, it's, you know, don't, don't get confused. I'm not saying it is a rollover to an IRA. It's not, but the the tax implications are about the same. Where if you choose to uh, exchange that money, the twenty million dollars in this example, into what's called 1042 exchange qualified replacement property, 
which is generally, and you can you can Google it and see what 1042 qualified replacement property is. It's a, effectively um, you know, mutual funds, uh, U.S. Um, U.S. investments, no no munis, no foreign stuff, but standard investments that you would think about having as uh, you know what what you would take your twenty million dollars and put it into. If you do that within a, a certain time period after the transaction closes, that defers the taxable event until some later date when you actually start monetizing it. So back to that IRA um, analogy, you roll it into an IRA, uh, your 401k plan into an IRA, there's no taxable event today, but eventually when you start taking money out, uh, you know, liquidating those investments within the IRA, you're going to be taxed on it. It's the same concept for the business owner. No taxable event today. Now, why is that significant? Well, significant for a huge number of reasons. But the first is $20 million in one year. I mean, if it's just a taxable event this year, then it is what it is. There's there's not a lot of manipulation or really any that can be done. Or I shouldn't say manipulation, but more uh, strategy, tax planning. If instead you put all of that money, that $20 million into qualified replacement property, and you defer taxes on it, then you can strategize over time with your uh, wealth advisors and your estate planning uh, advisors on how best to take out money over time to uh, maintain your standard of living, uh, go out and spend money, whatever it is you want to spend money on, but also estate planning. Should we contribute some to trusts on behalf of your children or to charitable foundations if you have uh, charitable giving uh, desires? There's... uh, you just have a, a basically unlimited amount of flexibility uh, to structure and design your future uh, from a tax planning perspective that is not available uh, outside of this this unique 1042 qualified exchange scenario. That's again in the C corp context. In the S corp context, under current law, 1042 exchange is not available. Uh, there is a proposal uh, under the, the new Biden administration to allow S-Corp sales to also be, um, to also have 1042 exchange as a, an available opportunity there. Hasn't been passed yet. It's just a proposal. We'll see what happens. But under current law and, and traditionally, it, if you sell S-Corp stock, it hasn't been eligible for 1042 exchange. So why would somebody sell as an S-Corp? Well, there's... a well, first of all, some uh, some selling shareholders are not uh, that interested in in 1042 exchange for any number of reasons. Uh, second of all, there's that immediate if if you are an S corp at the date of sale, then immediately after the sale to the ESOP, what we were talking about earlier, you have a tax exempt entity effectively now, where all of that extra money, that two million dollars of profits every year that would normally be taxable. It's not taxed at the C-Corp level because you're not a C-Corp. It's not passed through to you. Uh, it's passed through to a tax-exempt trust, which means it stays in the company. That might be a structure that's really helpful in getting you as the selling shareholder paid out uh, faster and more aggressively, depending on the timeline of how you want to get paid out, because you have all this extra cash flow that would otherwise be going to taxes. Um, it does not mean that you can't do both. You just need a longer time horizon. So if you were to be, for example, a C-Corp on the date of sale, then you take advantage of the 1042 exchange opportunity and then immediately convert or or you start the process of converting to an S-Corp. If you were a partnership or an LLC that converted to a corp before uh, 
before the transaction, or you are an S corp that revokes your S selection before the transaction. So now you're a C and can take advantage of the 1042 exchange. There's a five year, five taxable year waiting period. So you can't, you can't just flip back and forth. The IRS isn't going to allow that. So if you want to take advantage of 1042, you got to keep that in mind as well. You might have you need a longer time horizon. Uh, that's important. I was going to ask you if there was a look back uh, on that in an ESOP transaction, and you just answered that question. So that uh, that that uh, makes a lot of sense. So you need to plan and strategize about this in advance, just like you would any other type of exit strategy. It sounds like so. Excellent. So. Uh, for the sake of time here, we're going to run out of time in a few minutes. But uh, so an ESOP, uh, it, it sounds like is a highly specialized exit strategy. Can business owners do this on their own or do they need help? Uh, the quick answer is that you really should not do this on your own for a variety of reasons. Uh, it is a, a technical you know, tax uh, based exit strategy. But there's also liability associated with it, both uh, from a tax liability perspective, as well as fiduciary liability, because the concept is you're transitioning ownership to your employees for their benefit. And so it's not just the IRS that would scrutinize this. It's the United States Department of Labor saying, wait a minute, did you try and structure something for your own benefit at the expense of your employees? Or did you do something where everybody benefited? And it's it's really important to have... uh, advisors in this world who who really work with this uh, this type of transaction understand it and have uh, have considered carefully the legal implications the governmental scrutiny that's applied to uh, to them so everything from your uh, advisors your trustees the valuation professionals the lenders need to understand esop lending you need people that have experience in this space for a successful transaction that minimizes the liability to you. I agree. Kids, don't try this at home. <laughs> Find a specialist that can help you uh, do this. Uh, you know, frankly, I can't imagine uh, even it being possible to do it on your own. Perhaps if you're an attorney and a CPA and you own the business, maybe you can figure that out. But this is a highly complicated and specialized um, a type of a transaction that has many, many benefits uh, to business owners and employees alike. And so you really need to get the right help. So speaking of the right help, what sets you apart from other ESOP attorneys? Ah, well, um, I'd, I'd like to say my uh, my charming personality and how everyone, <laughs> you're, you're going to have a great experience working with me. Well, okay, the honest answer, um, the because this is a specialized type of transaction, there's not uh, there's not a ton of people who specialize in this type of uh, in this type of work in this type of transaction nationally. So you're you're already limited to a specialized group of, of practitioners in this space. Uh, then among those specialized practitioners, my team is uh, among the top teams in the country uh, in terms of breadth and depth of experience in these deals, as well as uh, number of transactions a year. So I feel like you'd be in really good hands working with us. Uh, we have among our team includes the former deputy uh, deputy Second, secretary of labor nationally. So you have that department of labor uh, oversight advice and, and input uh, if and where needed. Same on the IRS side. Um, as, and then of course the, the corporate M&A, you know, hundreds of corporate M&A attorneys, which these are ultimately corporate M&A transactions. 
Yeah, and it doesn't cost anything to have a conversation, right? To to at least have a consult with you to 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 discover whether or not this is something that might make sense for your business. So I would strongly advise business owners who are thinking about this to to get in touch with Jason. We'll talk about how to do that in just a second. One last business question. This podcast is all about maximizing business value, of course. Uh, so Jason, what's the one most important thing you would recommend business owners do to build value in their businesses? Oh, good question. I guess it, um, I'll answer it a couple of different ways. I mean, first, how do, how do you maximize business value as an owner who's selling your business? Well, it's not just the dollar figure of the purchase price. It's also, what are the terms of payout? Are you going to be able to stick around like we talked about earlier and, and transition working, uh, your, your working years on your own terms and on your own timeline? And what are the tax implications? Is it just a single payday or do I have the opportunity as a business owner to maximize the value of this business that I've created on a post-tax basis? Uh, ESOPs provide a great opportunity there. From the employee side, and you as a business owner should be considering that, how do you maximize the value to your employees? In addition to the tremendous benefit, that the dollar value that's created and built in the ESOP accounts for your employees over time, your employees get to keep their jobs. That's That's a significant value. I mean, are you creating and adding value with your business? These people, your employees who've been with you for a long time who helped you build this successful business, become successful on your own, you get to leave a leave something to them, a business behind uh, that survives your tenure with the company that you built for the benefit of and not at the expense of the employees who helped you get there. I love it. I love it. Now, our our listeners uh, know that I always ask a bonus question, you know, after all the business questions. Uh, and they listen all the way to this point because everybody wants to know the answer to this question. Jason, what personality trait has gotten you into the most trouble through the years? My gosh, I was wondering where you're going with this. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, well, I guess the first thing that comes to mind, I think probably a lot of people can relate to this would be um, I'm a uh, I'm a people person. I love being around other people. And when I'm working with business owners, I like... Um, I really enjoy getting out of what I've historically done is you go out and you see the business owner at their business, what they've, what they do, what they've built, what they've created and work with them in person, learn about what their desires, dreams, objectives are personally, financially, and for their business, for their employees. And over the last year, uh, not being able to see, you know, because of COVID, not being able to see people in person and uh, having to um, do all these transactions and meetings remotely, we're all we're all making it work. But I feel like that personality trait is uh, it's been uncomfortable <laughs> for me. You know, really wanting to to be with people in person. I look forward to being able to do that again really soon. Awesome. That's that's a great answer. I agree. I, I we like to touch people, right? I want to be around. I'm a big hugger. You know, I want to be around people and do that. So, how can our viewers and listeners get in touch with you? Oh, thanks. Um, well, you can Google my name, Jason Luter, J A S O N L U T as in Tom E R, and if you um, that that should bring up my firm website and LinkedIn as the top couple of results. Uh, if you need an additional keyword to put in, you can say Jason Luter Fagery. Um, my firm, F-A-E-G-R-E, and uh, I should take you right to me. Awesome. Thank you for being our guest and taking some of the mystery out of ESOPs. Thanks for having me. 
You can find Jason Luter, L-U-T-E-R, at Fagre Drinker, F-A-E-G-R-E, drinker.com, or on LinkedIn, of course. And of course, you can always reach out to me, and I will be happy to make a warm introduction to my new best friend and ESOP specialist, Jason Luter. This is the Maximize Business Value Podcast, where we give practical advice to business owners on how to build long-term sustainable value in your business. Be sure to tune in each week and follow us wherever you found this podcast. Be sure to comment. We love your comments and we respond to all of them. So until next time, I'm Tom Bronson reminding you to consider all of your options for your exit strategy, including ESOPs, while you maximize business value. to the Maximize Business Value podcast with Tom Bronson. This podcast is brought to you by Mastery Partners, where our mission is to equip business owners to maximize business value so they can transition on their terms. Learn more on how to build long-term sustainable business value and get free value-building tools by visiting our website, www.masterypartners.com. That's master with a Y, masterypartners.com. Check it out. Perfect. I wouldn't make any changes on that.